Our scripture this morning is the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, beginning with the first verse and reading through the 13th. Jesus is speaking. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us, and you had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourself. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake therefore, because you know, excuse me, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is indeed the word of God for all of God's people. Will you pray with me please? Holy God, we pray for wisdom, for clarity, and for a sense of change, for your spirit changing us. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. We've been through some fun sermon series together these last several months. We had, um, what we had? We had national parks. Where else did we go in the last few months? Hey, yes, you sat through five Sundays of me telling stories from the Camino. We had that prayer suite where you had to talk in groups of three. But now we're in a little in-between time before Advent, and so we're just kind of back to the assigned calendar of readings that many denominations follow from Sunday to Sunday called the lectionary. So I pulled up the assigned reading on Monday, and this week's gospel text is like one of my bottom five least favorite parables, the bridesmaids one. In an article I read this week, the author Nicole, Nicole Slee counted 104 parables and sayings in the Gospel of Matthew. And in those 104 parables, there are 85 characters mentioned, 73 of which are men, and only 12 of which are women. And of those 12 women mentioned in a parable in the Gospel of Matthew, 10 of them are these bridesmaids. They're not named, they're not given personalities, they are just grouped into wise and foolish women. Now maybe I'm extra sensitive about this because anything related to weddings stresses me out a little bit right now. And like how many expensive bridesmaids dresses and bridesmaids scrunchies and bridesmaids pajama pants do I have in my closet? A lot. 
You might say that I am bringing a little wedding fatigue to this bridesmaid's parable, and you might be right. It's a weird story. It's one that I would generally avoid preaching on, but that's why it's healthy to have assigned readings every now and then. It's tempting to move through the Bible like a buffet line, where you just take our favorite foods, the most familiar, simple, beloved stories, filling our plate with what we know, what we know we like. But sometimes we're asked to sit down at a table and the plate is just put in front of us. Something new, a passage we're not quite comfortable with and we're asked to grapple with it. And it's good for us. So, the bridesmaid's parable, the plate of beets that has been set before me. What do we do when there's a piece of scripture that just doesn't sit well with us, that feels confusing? What do we do when someone picks up a bit of Bible and uses it to enforce a rule or a belief that we find to be wrong? Well, one way that we find meaning in a scripture is by looking at it in its historical context. That means when the writer of the Gospel of Matthew wrote the story down in roughly the year 80 or 90, what was going on? The big thing that was on the minds of these first-generation Christians was that before he was taken back into heaven after Easter, Jesus had told his followers that he would return, that he would come back and initiate the peaceful and abundant reign of God. And most people thought he meant, like, soon, like in their lifetimes. Jesus told them, when the world feels like it's ending, it's a sign that he is on his way. And so, some 30 years later, when the Roman Empire laid siege on Jerusalem for five months, leaving the whole city and notably the temple in ruins, it felt like the end of the world. It felt like what Jesus had described. So our gospel writer, Matthew, in the year 80, has watched the destruction of the temple, the desecration of the holiest of sites, the killing of innocent people, everything on fire, thinking the whole time, this must be it. Jesus will be back any minute now. Only now for Matthew, it's been 10 years since that war. 45 years since Jesus physically walked the earth, and still nothing. The imminent return, the final rapture, this end of suffering and the beginning of God's reign is not as immediate as people were expecting. There seems to be a delay. So Matthew writes his whole gospel, his telling of Jesus' life and teachings with that lens, from that perspective the restless waiting for something you really thought would have happened by now. He tells this parable of Jesus, framing it with his best guess at what he thinks Jesus would have meant by it. The story goes, there's a big wedding banquet. And in the culture of the day, the bridegroom would go to the bride's family's house in this big procession, scoop her up and bring her back to his family's house for a giant party. And in the story, the bridegroom is late, very late. It's midnight, and he's still not there to kick off the celebration. Some of the wedding attendants are prepared for the delay, and they brought extra oil for their lamps. 
Others didn't, didn't think ahead, didn't plan for the bridegroom being so much later than they'd expected. And when they realize they don't have enough oil for their lamps, they panic. They ask to borrow some from the more prepared people, but are denied. So they leave their posts, they run to town at midnight to try to find some oil, and when they come back, the party is already going, and the door is locked, and they can't get in. Keep watch, therefore, the parable ends, watch out or miss out. In the way he tells this parable, Matthew seems to be saying, there are two kinds of people in this world, wise and foolish. People who fill their car with gas as soon as they hit half a tank, because you never know. And the people who wait till the gas light is on. And even then, they try to stretch it a few more miles. There are two kinds of people in the world. The ones who show up to class and do their homework even when the teacher is out sick. And the ones who take the afternoon off. Be the first kind. Matthew says, be ready. Some are going to be excluded come judgment day. Don't let it be you. Matthew lived at a time when people were rapidly dividing into factions and teams and conflicting ideologies. He wanted his readers to be aware, to stay on what he believed was the right team, the ones who would be rewarded. So that's the perspective from which he tells this parable. Watch out or miss out. What other perspectives are there? Well, another thing we do when we come across a story that has uncertain meaning is we can put it into conversation with other parts of scripture. How does this passage sound when it's interspersed with other teachings of Jesus from the book of Matthew? Listen to this. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil with them. The wise took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. They all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the bridesmaids woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Matthew 5.42 Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Matthew 19, 21. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give its light to everyone in the house. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. The bridesmaids who were ready went into the wedding banquet. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Matthew twenty sixteen. And the door was shut. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. Matthew twenty three thirteen. 
Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Matthew 7, verse 7 to 12. So how do we take the historical meaning of the parable, put it into conversation with the whole arc of scripture and with our life and experience and our intellectual and emotional understanding of God to find meaning in this story that applies to our lives today? It seems to me that a traditional interpretation of this scripture doesn't fit with what we know about Jesus, with what we trust about God. Because where else in scripture do we glorify selfishness, refusing to share out of your excess like these so-called wise bridesmaids? Where else in the tradition of our faith, which hinges heavily on the concept of unimaginably abundant grace, where else do we say that if you mess up once, God will say, gotcha. I forgot who you are. Stay out in the cold. We don't really say that, right? We aren't given evidence to believe that. God is depicted as the woman searching everywhere for that one lost coin because the one that is outside matters. God is depicted as the father of the prodigal son who throws an extravagant party no matter what time his son eventually makes it back home from the pig pen. Jesus paints a picture again and again of a big table, an expansive welcome, an upside down kingdom where blessed are the left out and the lost, the ones who didn't quite have it together. And so I simply cannot see Jesus as the late and punitive bridegroom here. So what else could this parable be saying to us today? Now, I don't tend to get all nerdy about the specific Greek words that the New Testament was originally written in, but I did notice in my research this week that the tense of the opening phrase Jesus uses to begin this parable is passive. He doesn't actually say the kingdom of God is like this which he says in some of his other illustrations in Matthew. In this one, in the original Greek, Jesus says, the kingdom of God will be likened to this. In other words, people will talk about the kingdom of God like this. He doesn't necessarily say it's like this. He says people will talk about the kingdom of God like a wedding feast that only the most prepared are admitted to. Because people are what they are. Because people love to make categories, wise and foolish, in and out, ready and not ready. People will take Jesus' life of grace and selfless compassion, a story of radical love that crossed every line, even the chasm from life to death and back to life again. People will take that story and turn it into a threat that Christ is going to slam the door to heaven in your face if you are not on the right side of the wise versus foolish line. 
if you falter or forget or panic or run out of something critical. People will tell you there are two kinds of people in the world, the in-group and the out-group, so watch out. Keep alert. Watch for when you're like the bridesmaids who did bring enough oil, when you have prepared and are smug about it. You packed a lunch and everyone else forgot theirs. Watch for the impulse to eat it all yourself, to turn your back on your hungry friends because you've convinced yourself that resources are scarce and you deserve a full meal after all. Just 18 verses after this story in Matthew, still in chapter 25, we have that famous passage where Jesus says, what you shared with the least of these, you shared with me. So watch for those times when the temptation is to hoard and to think you are righteous and the people with less just didn't work hard enough. Keep watch. Be alert, too, for when you're like the bridesmaids who panicked when their light went out, suddenly afraid that you're not enough, that you haven't done enough. In the story, the women felt so inadequate that they ran away to try and buy something to fix it and cover it up. What if they'd stayed put instead and waited in the dark a little bit longer, trusting that they didn't have to be the ones to provide all the light? What this parable says to me in the times when I feel like I have to scramble to be the one holding everything together, terrified that people will notice how imperfect I really am, maybe the message is to be still and trust that I'm loved. As those backpack tags we gave our kids say, loved no matter what. Keep alert, this parable says to me, for the times when you panic, for the times when you refuse to share, and watch too for the times when you're the bridegroom. The bridegroom who reminds me more of the unforgiving servant from a parable a few chapters back than any Jesus I know. The bridegroom is the one who's late to his own wedding in the first place. And then he has no grace for the lateness of his friends. Watch when you're holding other people to a standard that you yourself can't keep. Watch for times when you refuse to forgive, when you use something unfair as a reason to keep someone else out. Keep watch. Keep watch for when people start to make categories and labels that explain why it's okay to dehumanize or exclude a group of people, the wise ones, the foolish ones, the in, the out. Watch for when people start to make categories that explain why it's okay to steal from or to hate or to bomb or to execute. Because the truth is, there are not two kinds of people in the world. There aren't even really kinds of people in the world. There are just people. People with multiple identities. Yes, beautifully diverse, but people. Complicated and nuanced and fragile. And until we get that, we don't get the kingdom of God. As long as we are sorting, telling ourselves and telling others that God is sorting, that some are favored and some are out of luck, 
As long as we are building walls or drawing lines between deserving and undeserving, we are missing the point. Maybe this parable for us is an exercise in perspective. Can I find myself in multiple sides of a situation, multiple characters in a story? That sometimes I'm the one who panics because my light has gone out and I can't sit still and trust that I'll be okay. And sometimes I'm the one the world sees as wise, but really I'm just selfish and too scared of running out to share. That sometimes I'm as unforgiving and lacking in grace as that bridegroom turning my back on a neighbor, pretending I don't know them. The point is we're not just one kind of person. We contain multitudes and God loves us nonetheless. And God loves you and God loves your neighbor and God loves that person you fear or hate. The point is it's not a party until everyone is there. God's heart is wide. And made in that image, our hearts were meant to be wide too. It's a lot to hold the multiple sides, the multiple pains, especially in a global season like this one. But I really believe that there's somehow room. The world will hand us its two kinds of people, pick a side, demands, and we have the option to resist that to choose instead to emulate the broken, wide-open heart of God, to stay present in the darkness of uncertainty, to share generously out of our abundance, and to give and receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace until our world inches closer to that promised kingdom, that truly joyful party where everyone is there and everyone is safe. Amen. A reminder to join us for a coffee hour. We have some wonderful snacks and fellowship and conversation in the fellowship hall. And as we go out from this place, may peace reach to the four corners of the earth. And on this place, may God's compassion fall on us, spur us on to change the world by loving and forgiving and walking with our neighbor. Go in peace. Amen. NBUMC Weekly is a production of North Bethesda United Methodist Church, located in Bethesda, Maryland. Follow us on YouTube and Facebook at North Bethesda UMC or on Instagram at Loving All Neighbors. All music is licensed via Christian Copyright Licensing International, CCLI. <laughs>